0: Unsigned Thought Nuggets. Welcome back to Thought Nuggets. I am Taylor and Mary is actually on vacation. She's in Colorado enjoying a white Christmas. Um, yeah, guys, it's almost Christmas Eve. That's crazy. Uh, when we started this 12 days, it, gosh, it feels like so long ago. It was a long process. But uh, here we are. We are the eve before Christmas Eve. I am fending off my cat because he keeps wanting to walk across the keyboard, which is not, not what I want. Finally, he moved. Guys, behave. Gosh, goodness. Anyhow, well, for this podcast, um. We talked a lot about traditions, we've talked about Christmas memories, we've talked about gosh, food, people, funny moments, we had a a special guest on, Um, gosh, so much stuff. And a lot of this stuff has been mostly personal stuff, um, which is super awesome and great, but I kind of wanted to bring in um, some cool stories from other people. Um so this is an open invitation for you guys to call in on if you use the Anchor app that would be super awesome. If you don't use it if you're listening on iTunes, I highly suggest you download the Anchor app. It's free. Um that's the best place to listen to these podcasts, but you can also still subscribe and listen on iTunes. Um uh, but the cool thing about Anchor is you can actually call in and we can broadcast your responses live. Um, so that's super sick. So if you have an awesome Christmas memory or story or some Christmas miracle you'd like to share, um, feel free to do so, uh, and we will we will air whatever you put on there. So uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, but anyhow, I thought it'd be really fun to share some kind of Christmas Christmas miracle stories, something to get us in the spirit, like the holiday spirit, essentially. Um, so, I have sourced these from the interwebs. Let's see. I got this from Redbook. Um, and so, each of them are written by different people that it actually happened to. So, apologies if it's not, you know, quite grammatically correct. It should be, hopefully. Uh, but anyhow, let's let's just begin. And most of these are kind of like Christmas miracle-esque. So, something really inspiring to get you guys into the holiday spirit. All right. This one is by Amanda Fortini. Thank you, Amanda. Um, It's called Flight Delayed, Romance on Time. All right. Here it goes. Almost four years ago, near midnight, on the night before Christmas Eve, a.k.a. tonight, I found myself stuck in the San Francisco airport. I had traveled there for a day-long interview, but a monstrous blizzard had created the sort of cross-country travel chaos that's characteristic of this time of year. My flight to Chicago to visit family had been canceled, and my new flight home to Los Angeles was delayed. Since my fiancé and I had split on Thanksgiving Day, I passed, the, I passed the intervening month, alternatively weeping and screaming at him on the phone. It was beginning to dawn on me that I'd be spending a holiday alone. I did what any bored, lonely traveler with a laptop and a few hours to kill might do. I parked myself on the filthy floor near the power outlet, plugged in, and went online. I checked my emails. I flung instant messages back and forth with a friend. I scanned Facebook. And there. I was surprised to find in my inbox an obliquely flirtatious message, Where in LA? Why LA? What's your favorite color? From a Montana-based writer whose name and work were familiar to me, yet whom I've never met. I've been a Facebook friend of this writer since October, when before the launch of his new book, he later told me, he'd swiped a number of contacts and, from his soon-to-be ex-girlfriend and sent friend requests to them in an attempt to build his social network. I had recently enjoyed a magazine article he had written and mentioned he was born in Ohio, where I spent most of my childhood summers visiting my dad. So I accepted his friend request, but not before studying his profile picture, in which he was wearing dark aviator glasses and smoking a cigarette. I could see half moons of dirt beneath his fingernails, but I couldn't see it in his eyes. A Midwestern bad boy. That seemed intriguing. I had considered sending him an email, but my relationship was still in the death throes, so I didn't. Now here he was, two months later, emailing me. I pushed my laptop away like my teenage self had once tossed an errant Ouija board across the room out of fear. (laughs) It was though I had conjured him. Maybe I was more receptive to my mystical notions of fate and fortune than usual. There under the bright fluorescent terminal lights at what can be the bleakest time of the year. Maybe I was looking for signs. Whatever reason, in that heady Christmas time mood that equals melancholy and optimism, I did what anyone might have not done I did what I might have not done had his message arrived in the midst of everyday life. I replied. I replied. He replied. I replied. He replied. We started a epistolary exchange that lasted for two weeks. He drove 18 hours to Los Angeles to take me out, then rented a small guest house so we could date. A few months later, we moved in together. Our conversation, you might say, has continued into the present. I've spent the holidays in Montana ever since. Cute. All right. This next one is called What I Remember Most is Love by Ayana Mathis. I have almost no recollection of my childhood holidays, only a series of impressions. My name in glitter on Santa's hat, standing outside in the dark after Christmas dinner with cold cheeks and a full belly, I do I do not recall decorating the tree or ripping open presents, but these things surely happened. My mother who always got my mother who always got by with very little made certain of it. But my Christmases are eclipsed by darker events. In 1982, the year I turned nine, my mom was institutionalized for a mental illness. The hearing voices, not leaving her room kind. We lived with my grandparents. That we lived with my grandparents that year, not long after being released, my mother stopped taking her medicine. Her behavior once again turned erratic. Christmas came, we were all demoralized. The usual trips to the mall or the tree vendor must have felt unimaginably frivolous. But my grandparents were devoutly religious, and on Christmas Eve, we attended a candlelight vigil at our church. I don't remember anything about the car ride there or back. Or Christmas Day that followed, but one precious instant emerges. I'm standing alone in front of the congregation, white candles burning in the walls, sconces, and in the hands of the congregants provided the only light. The preacher's wife nods at me and plays the opening strains of O Holy Night. My knees knock with nervousness. I begin my solo in a wavering little voice. I am overwhelmed with the sense that I'm in the presence of something transcendent, something benevolent. I looked out. At my brother and grandparents in the second pew. My mother has not allowed my grandparents to touch her in months. But some grace that night makes her sit very close to them. Her eyes shine and there are tears on her cheeks. I sing in my little voice. In that moment, I am loved. I am safe. We are a family like any other, celebrating Christmas the best we can. A Gift Worth Waiting For by Kat Greenleaf On Thanksgiving Day... 2002. My grandfather lay dying under an ugly fluorescent lights in an anonymous New York City nursing home. He was my best friend. My boyfriend could sense this was his last day and felt moved to make the old man happy. I chose to sense nothing and felt moved to go out and get coffee. In my absence, swept up in emotion, the young man turned to the old man. Joe, I'm going to ask Kat to marry me, and I'd like your blessing, but I need you to keep it a secret. There's a this was a massive gamble on Mike's part. Mike knew my grandfather loved him, but he was not Jewish. There was no guarantee that Joseph, a cantor, would ever accept such a marriage. Then there was a small matter of whether or not he actually planned to propose. ever details. That's wonderful, Molotov, of course. Not a word... not a word. my lips are sealed. His lips remained sealed for exactly five minutes until I returned to both of them in the room. Never tell a dying man a secret. He has no reason to keep it. Kathy, darling, this is fantastic news. Congratulations on your engagement. Mozeltov Mozeltov Was he hallucinating? I looked at Mike, who said nothing, so I said nothing too. Hanukkah began the next night, and Mike and I never once discussed the NHI, nursing home incident. Instead, we lit candles, ate... Latkes. Mm, shoot i'm not jewish i'm sorry i probably totally just killed that word um and danced an awkward horror through the eight nights of my uncertainty had i received a promise of a ring or just some hopeful parting words with a life go- from my lifelong cheerleader like the miracle of hana like the miracle of hanukkah itself my grandfather lasted another eight days before passing. Mike's proposal didn't come as a holiday present, but as a birthday gift four months later. Still, on the last night of Hanukkah before he, left, before he left this world, we celebrated the life of Cantor Joe Greenleaf, alight the possibility of what the future might hold for the two of us. It was a perfect send-off because he loved life, he loved me, and he would have hated to miss the party. Alright, the next one is called, Everyone Walks Away from a Horrible Christmas Day Pile-Up. For all, we associate it with good cheer and comfort. The sad fact is that many die on Christmas Day, usually in dumb accidents that could have been avoided. With the travel, the ice, the general drunkenness, most of these happen on the roads, and frequently one person's driving is enough to ruin the Christmas for multiple families, but occasionally God glances down at these unfolding catastrophes and decides, not today. <laughs> I like that. Last year, a, co- a combination of freezing rain and bad driving caused a 21-car pileup outside Oklahoma City on Christmas Day. It was described as a major accident, in quotes, with the truck jackknifing, cars smashing into one another, and all hell generally breaking loose. Want to guess how many fatalities and serious injuries this major smash-up caused? Absolutely none at all. Despite people plowing into each other with tons of speeding metal on ice-slicked roads, not a single serious injury was reported. For a high-speed smash to not result in a death or even at most favorable circumstances are highly unlikely. On a frozen road in the middle of the night, well, a miracle. Maybe God just had a secret soft spot for Oklahoma. Okay, this next one is called Paralyzed Boy with No Spine Walks Again, Just in Time for Christmas. This one reads like a textbook miracle. In 2008, a seven-year-old Marco Ducic had a cyst form along his back. In no time at all, the malignant growth had crushed his spine, leaving only a thread holding on, holding his entire back together. Doctors in his home country of Austria confidently predicted that he would spend the rest of his life in the wheelchair, to which fate said, want to bet? A week or so before Christmas, Marco punched medical knowledge in the face by getting out of bed and going on a walk. Just to illustrate how unbelievably unlikely this was, here's a quick list for everyone who's managed to repeat Marco's feat since. Nobody. <laughs> That's it. This kid shrugged off spine-destroying injury like it was nothing, flatting around the predictions of every specialist in Europe and doing this just in time to give his mom the best Christmas present ever. Either it's a miracle or he's a wolverine. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is great. So much sass. <sighs> wow. This next story is by Susan Morton Leonard, and it's going to be the last one that I read to you guys today. We're going to end on a on a positive note. Very motivational. Um, just just to preface, this is actually a real Christmas miracle story. Not that anything that I've said has not been real. I just want to emphasize that. Um, actually happened in December um, in 1997 in Wisconsin. A little boy and his grandmother came to see Santa at the Mayfair Mall in Wisconsin. The child climbed up onto Santa's lap holding a picture of a little girl. ''Who is this?'' asked Santa, smiling. ''Your friend? Your sister?'' ''Yes, Santa,'' he replied. ''My sister Sarah, who is very sick,'' he said sadly. Santa glanced over at the grandmother who was waiting nearby, dabbing her eyes with a tissue. ''She wanted to come with me to see you. Oh, so very much, Santa,'' the child exclaimed. ''She misses you,'' he added softly. Santa tried to be cheerful and encouraged to smile on on the boy's face, asking him what he wanted Santa to bring him for Christmas. When they finished their visit, the grandmother came over to help the child off his lap and started to say something to Santa, but halted. "'What is it?' Santa asked warmly. "'Well, I know it's really too much to ask of you, Santa, but...' The old woman began, shooing her grandson over to one of Santa's elves to collect the little gift which Santa gave to all of his young visitors. "'The girl in the photograph. My granddaughter. Well, you see, she has leukemia, and she isn't expected to make it even through the holidays,' she said through tear-filled eyes." Is there any way, Santa, is there any way possible that you could come and see Sarah? That's all. That's all she asked for, for Christmas, is to see Santa. Santa blinked and swallowed hard and told the woman to leave information with his elves as to where Sarah was, and he would see what he could do. Santa thought of little else the rest of the afternoon. He knew what he had to do. What if it was my child lying in the hospital bed, dying, he thought, with a sinking heart. This is the least I can do. When Santa finished visiting all the boys and girls that evening, he retrieved from his helper the name of the hospital where Sarah was staying at. He asked Rick, the assistant location manager, how to get to Children's Hospital. Why? Rick asked with a puzzled look on his face. Santa relayed to him the conversation with Sarah's grandmother earlier that day. Come on, I'll take you there, Rick, said softly. Rick drove them to the hospital and came inside with Santa. They found out which room Sarah was in. A pale Rick said he would wait out in the hall. Santa quietly peeked in the room through the half-closed door and saw little Sarah on the bed. The room was full of what appeared to be family. There was the grandmother and the girl's brother he had met earlier that day. The woman, who he guessed was Sarah's mother, stood by the bed, gently pushing Sarah's thin hair off her forehead. And another woman, who he discovered was Sarah's aunt, sat in the chair next to the bed with a weary, sad look expression on her face. They were talking quietly. Santa could sense the warmth and closeness of the family and their love and concern for Sarah. Taking a deep breath and forcing a smile on his face, Santa entered the room, bellowing a hearty, ho, ho, ho. Santa shrieked little Sarah weakly. She tried to escape her bed and run to him. Santa rushed to her side and gave her a warm hug. The child's tender age of his own son, nine years old, gazed up at him with wonder and excitement. Her skin was pale, and her short tresses bore telltale bald patches of the effects of chemotherapy. But all, he saw when he looked in the, but all he saw when he looked at her was a pair of huge blue eyes. His heart melted. He had to force himself to choke back tears. Though his eyes were riveted upon Sarah's face, he could hear the gasp and quiet sobbing of the woman in the room. As he and Sarah began talking, the family crept quietly to the Bedside, one by one, squeezing Santa's shoulder or hand, gratefully whispering, Thank you, as they gazed sincerely at him with shining eyes. Santa and Sarah talked and talked, and she told him ex- excitedly all the toys that she wanted for Christmas, assuring him she had been a very good girl that year. As their time together dwindled, Santa felt led in his spirit to pray for Sarah and asked for permission from the girl's mother. She nodded in agreement, and the entire family circled around Sarah's bed, holding hands. Santa looked intensely at Sarah and asked her if she believed in angels. Oh, yes, Santa, I do, she exclaimed. Well, I'm going to ask that the angels watch over you, he said. Laying laying one hand on the child's head, Santa closed his eyes and prayed. He asked that God touch little Sarah and heal her body from disease. He asked the angels to minister and watch her and keep her. And when he finished praying, still, with his eyes closed, he started singing softly, Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is bright. And the family joined in, still holding hands, smiling at Sarah and crying tears of hope and tears of joy for the moment, as Sarah beamed at all of them. When the song ended, Santa sat on the side of the bed and held Sarah's frail, small hand in his own. Now, Sarah, he said authoritatively, you have a job to do, and that is to concentrate on getting well. I want you to have fun playing with your friends this summer, and I expect to see you at my house at the Mayfair Mall this time next year. He knew he was risky proclaiming that this little girl who had terminal cancer, but he had to. He had to give her the greatest gift he could. Not dolls, not games, not toys, but the gift of hope. Yes, Santa, Sarah exclaimed, her eyes bright. He leaned down and kissed her in the forehead and left the room. Out in the hall, the minute Santa's eyes met Rick's, a look passed between them, and they wept unashamed. Sarah's mother and grandmother slipped out of the room and quickly rushed to Santa's side to thank him. My only child the same age as Sarah, he explained quietly. This is the least I could do. They nodded understanding and hugged him. One year later, Santa Mark was back, was again back on the set in Milwaukee for his six-week seasonal job, which he so loves to do. Several weeks went by, and then one day, a child came to sit on his lap. Hi, Santa. Remember me? Of course I do, Santa proclaimed, as he always does, smiling down at her. After all, the secret of being good being a good Santa is to always make the child feel as if they're the only child in the world at the moment you came to see me in the hospital last year Santa's jaw dropped tears immediately sprang in his eyes and he grabbed the little miracle and held her to his chest Sarah he exclaimed he scarcely recognized her her hair was long and silky and her cheeks were rosy much different from a little girl who he had visited just a year before he looked over at Sarah's mother and grandmother on the sidelines smiling waving and wiping their eyes That was the best Christmas ever for Santa Claus. He had witnessed and been blessed to be instrumental in bringing about this miracle of hope. This precious little child was healed, cancer-free, alive, and well. He silently looked up to heaven, humbly whispering, Thank you, Father. Tis a Merry Christmas. Aww. Such a good, good feels. And it's cool because it was like a real story. So, hopefully those stories leave you awestruck and inspired um they're pretty awesome good range of different ones um yeah wishing you guys a year next year and this year end of this year um of health and happiness for you and your family um from mary and i just want to say happy holidays whatever holiday you're celebrating um and we're going to have one more podcast episode for you guys. It's kind of a special one. i super excited about it. It's, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it. I want it to be a surprise. So, guys, check back at Anchor or iTunes um, tomorrow morning. Um, and the last episode of the podcast for our 12-day series is going to be up. Uh, super excited for it. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. With that, hope you have a good morning or a good evening wherever you are and we will see you later. Bye!